That song would have fit with our new filthy style of being filthy. <laughs> Is that our new yeah. style? Apparently. <laughs> with old filthy mouth Peter. Remember when I'd buy that for a dollar was just a nice family show? <laughs> To an extra spooky Halloween edition of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. This is a show about common, inexpensive, and haunted records that are waiting for you. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, neighbor to the most haunted intersection in the world. Oh, that's true. It is true. It's like all four sides of the intersection are uh graveyards if i remember yeah our neighbor claims that it's the only place in the world where all four blocks of an intersection have cemeteries on it i have not found any proof of that it's definitely the only one in philadelphia that's i, I confirmed that it's definitely the most haunted intersection either way that i would yeah, say totally super haunted. well i'm jeremy pumpkin eater ruggles and i'm peter cook Brewer of Witch's Brew. <laughs> oh my oh god. Lord. We are full cheese today. <laughs> y'all know y'all know that originally Miles was gonna call the album Witch's Brew, and then his wife Betty Davis was like, nah, you should call it Bitches Brew. Oh. Okay. By the way, Betty Davis records slap. Oh my god. So good. So here's the thing. I used to do regular DJ nights at the Bell's Brewery, the House of Boogie. And there was one night where part of the whole thing was we were doing a dance competition. And people were selected throughout the evening who were the funkiest dancers. And then there was a showdown at the end of the best of them. And for one of the showdowns, I put on a Betty Davis song. And the dancers stopped and yelled at me and said it was too slow. What? It was... It was weird. It was... uh. Yeah. I'm shocked at Bell's Brewery. <laughs> they don't brew the witch's brew like I do. <laughs> oh my God, Peter. <laughs> I'm leaning into it. You know, I just, yeah. This I played the song, If I'm in Luck, I Might Get Picked Up. If you heard that one, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a great one. It's a slower tempo, but it's funky as hell. Come on, people. That's all right. Rant yeah. over. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about a cheaper record than any Betty Davis album? Yes. Yeah, I think that's why we're here. Is it a haunted record? Oh, it's it's haunted as hell. It's also a <laughs> band from Philadelphia, where I live now. It's Instant Funk with their album, Witch Doctor, <gasps> 1979. Oh, man, I love the David Seville song, Witch Doctor. <laughs> well, then you're going to love this. 
Because it's clearly that song, right? Yeah, 100%. All right, put on my Alvin and the Chipmunks-esque song. (laughs) We're going to play the title jam from this Witch Doctor, side A, track two. One night, as you lie in your lonely room in the stone hut on the moors, you are awakened by a sound. was not the witch doctor i was thinking of but damn was it funky Mm-hmm. it sure was this is what i think about it well that was the alvin and the chipmunks that i was looking for right there <laughs> there you go <laughs> do either of you happen to know the uh secret bonus second record that we're covering on this episode via these samples is it Haunted Mansion? No, this is the the Dollar Bin Classic, the chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house on Disneyland Records. <laughs> wow. Yep. Looks like I paid 49 cents for it. I was wondering, like, did Sean get a sampler just for <laughs> this episode? No, I got a sampler to try and learn how to make hip-hop beats, and then I realized that I just don't have the patience for it. But I dug it back out so I could put spooky samples on it for this episode. You're welcome. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Yeah. Here, here's another really one. Really spruces up. Oh. oh, man. Spooky. I don't envy that fella. <laughs> yeah, at least you have water. Do you have a Wilhelm scream? I have. Let's see. I have this. Honestly, better than the Wilhelm scream for my money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of over the Wilhelm scream. (laughs) 
played out. Easily the most played out sound effect. <laughs> most played out scream for sure. Yeah. I remember when I liked the Wilhelm scream sample. Not the band. Yeah. When I was getting out of high school, I used the Wilhelm scream, but you know, then I got to college, got my first chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house. Mm-hmm. When I grew up and <laughs> bought records on Disneyland records. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough about that. We've given enough advertisement to Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen corpse. Should we talk about that, that funky ass song you just played? Let's talk about that funky ass song I just played. What do you guys know about instant funk? Zero. I know zero. Uh, Bunny Sigler had something to do with it, and he's the dude who's like the sound of Philadelphia kind of dude. Mm-hmm. He was one of those dudes for sure. Instant Funk is a band that I almost never hear people talk about. All their records are cheap. They don't seem to be that critically well-remembered aside from maybe some of their early stuff. But I've always liked them. I got into this band first from their self-titled album from also from 1979 bought that strictly because it was a dollar and the album cover ruled has like a uh, i don't know if you guys have seen the the album cover for their self-titled album it's got like this weird colorized shot of them from the ground with a melting ice cube in the foreground it's cool i mean how could you not see a record like that for a dollar and pick it up that's what i want to know I like any records that have ice cubes on the cover, like the Iceman's Band. Exactly. That's that's the running theme. If you look closely, there's an ice cube hidden somewhere in the artwork of each record that Peter Cook has picked out for this show. <laughs> it's very true. You gotta, look, you gotta look real close on some of those albums, though, but you'll find them. Instant Funk was... Uh, their their attempt was to be a band that kind of bridged the gap between the harder funk sound of contemporary artists like Rick James or Parliament and fuse that with the smoother Philly chart-topping disco sound of the day. And I think they did an excellent job of it, particularly on this album. I really think this is their most consistent record, even though it's not their best remembered, doesn't have their biggest hits, but... Uh, We'll uh, we'll see what everyone else's opinion is as we go throughout the show. I don't know any of their other records to compare it to, but it definitely has some bangers. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say at least two-thirds of it, I would say, was very good. There's one or two songs where I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of it, though, ruled. Well, I mean, again, like we've talked about with other funk records, I'm not going to go out and say that this is like some absolute masterpiece but you know for a 1979 disco funk record this is damn good well i'm ready to be convinced but before we get into the record any further i just want to remind our listeners that our october fundraiser kicking off season two is almost over you have until october 31st to sign up to our patreon to receive the season two kickoff swag the patrons at the one dollar tier are going to receive an I'd Buy That for a Dollar Season 2 sticker designed by illustrator and artist Ellen Vandermeide. All of this is designed by Ellen. And the sticker is really cool, dripping record design. Patrons at the $5 tier are going to receive the button with the sparkle record design. And patrons at the $20 tier are going to get Season 2 I'd buy that for a dollar. T-shirt. You can choose 
between one of two designs. Also get the button and the sticker. And the easiest way to sign up for our Patreon is to find the link in the show notes of this episode, or you can go to patreon.com slash hide by that podcast. And to our existing patrons and anyone who signs up before October 31st, expect an email from us at the beginning of November requesting your shipping address and you will get your merch. Sounds great. We have to do, you guys have to do the the cheesy interjection of, but what if they're not ready to become a Patreon? (laughs) No, they should become a Patreon. It's time's running out. This, you're not going to get this sweet deal again if you sign up in a month. Now is the time. Yeah. We know that you've only been procrastinating to this point because you thought about buying a t-shirt and you're like, man, that's a lot of money for one t-shirt. I guess it's a donation. And if I'm donating, I might as well just subscribe so I can have those excellent benefits every single month. And that makes sense. I understand your thought process, but time's running out. You got to put your money where your mouth is now. Yeah. And for those of you that haven't heard, the patrons at the $1 tier get the early access episodes. We'll send them to you a few days in advance, these episodes. At the $5, you'll also receive bonus episodes. We record special episodes just for you. In the $20 tier, you get the vinyl subscription where we send a an LP of our choosing along with a 45 and a handwritten note. But if you really don't want to be a monthly benefactor, you can still donate and get these items. The stickers are for a $3 donation to this podcast. The buttons are a $6 donation and t-shirts are a $40 donation, but damn, they are really sweet t-shirts. I have one now in my possession, and I can attest to its quality in both design and material. And it's free shipping for all United States purchases. So if you want to get at us about this before October 31st, email us at idbythatpodcast at gmail.com and use the subject line, I'd buy that fundraiser. Just let us know which items you'd like. There's stickers, buttons, and t-shirts. You can see this all on our Instagram and our Facebook, I'd Buy That Podcast. Look it up. Let us know what you'd like, the quantity, and for t-shirts, we'll need your size. Note that there are two different styles of fit, both the classic fit and the slim fit for the t-shirts. When you message us, include your shipping address, and we will respond with your total and our PayPal once you've paid us you'll be ready to receive your items in November. Things are shipping out in November. And if you'd like to see more of Ellen's work, because her illustration and artistic qualities are top-notch, you can see them at Voyage with Ellen on Instagram. She posts there very regularly. and uh, But yeah, you can see all of the designs that she made for us on our Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, October 31st, which is Halloween which is why we're bringing you this special spooky episode right now. And I think let's get back into the spooky funk. All right, let's do it. I'm just going to jump right back into a track then. You guys ready? Yeah. Is it going to be as spooky as what we just heard? No. Is it there's, haunted? There's, there's like one and a half spooky songs on this record. But you know what I, you know what I can do? I can do some of this. Oh, is that your new cat? You got a cat, Sean? 
You thought there was going to be a huge explosion, didn't you? was body shine sean got a little little trigger happy there true or false sean in the american southeast body shine and probably two other songs from this record are legally classified as pornography (laughs) Uh, i think you might be right there what at least in their original hometown of trenton new jersey yeah, some nasty songs on here. Mm-hmm. Nasty. Just getting nasty with that funk. Nasty. That's how I like it. You guys want to learn a little bit about instant funk with me real quick? Yeah. Oh, you know it. All right. This group, like I just mentioned, actually started in nearby Trenton, New Jersey, the city with the most passive-aggressive motto, Trenton makes and the world takes. That's the city's motto? Yep. They got big old letters right on their bridge. And they sell t-shirts with that motto. Like, we keep making stuff. You guys keep taking it. No one thanks us, but whatever. We're just going to keep being Trenton, I guess. Is it a big manufacturing city? It was. Are you saying that we're in late stage capitalism? (laughs) Well, yes. Our resources are dried up. Wow, we could go off on a whole different tangent there. <laughs> Let's stay on instant funk. Sean, you became a Philly person real quick with that Jersey hate. I got no problem with Jersey. I was just in Trenton on Saturday buying records, in fact. All right, all right. Yeah, I got I got plenty of love for Jersey. I just think that Trenton has a real silly motto. Anyway, the bassist Raymond Earl, drummer Scotty Miller, and brother guitarist Kim Miller formed the original rhythm section 
and roots of the group under the band name The Music Machine. Uh, most oh, notably, well, yeah, I know, not the only group could, to use that name. Not the Bonnewell Music Machine. I'm no. wondering if that's why they had to change it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But most notably, they backed up some fellow Trenton artists known as the TNJs, who are a very collectible group on the Northern Soul circuit. The TNJs, is that the Trenton, New Jersey's? Uh, you guessed it, bud. <laughs> So they were doing that as like young teenagers in the late 60s. And in 1971, they officially changed their name to Instant Funk at the suggestion of their manager, Jackie Ellis. And the name was a reference to their ability to find a groove and lock into it instantly. I think it's a great name. And I really like any band that has the genre that they play in their name. Yeah, exactly. They're not hiding anything. I presumed when you first were like, we're going to do this album, and I'd never heard of Instant Funk, that it was going to be some kind of manufactured band. Hmm. Well, they're, they're you know from a I manufacturing mean? city. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, like, they wanted... Assembled. Yeah. Put, to, put together like the monkeys. Yeah, judging by the name of it and the cover, I was like, oh, Sean picked this weird album where they put together a bunch of funk dudes to make a Halloween album. But <laughs> I was off base. Which is funny because the label that it's on, Sal Soul Records, is infamous for doing that kind of stuff. They're the ones that did all of the like Christmas disco records, and they're always putting out albums that were just kind of like a loose group of different you know associated artists making these like supposed uh, disco supergroup albums all the time. And then uh, after they stopped making music, they went on to be like a straight-to-VHS like budget company, the owners of uh, Sal Soul Records. Like their, their whole business model was that if Disney put out a movie, they would take like whatever movie was most similar and then try and replicate the artwork as closely as they could so people would accidentally buy their VHS instead of Disney's. <laughs> oh, man. And they, they did that just, uh, just until they got sued by Disney and then kind of shifted a little bit. But, oh, yeah. Disney protects their stuff, too. You can't step on them. You will get sued. Yeah. Apparently, they, they were hire. apparently they were really good at being, like, just barely within the legal limit for long enough <laughs> to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> Savvy. Hilarious. Anyway, so, early 70s, uh, they are discovered by the Philly producer and superstar, Bunny Sigler, a.k.a. Does anybody know his real name? Is that Walter or something? No, a.k.a. Bundino Sigalucci. What? <laughs> yep, says it right on the, the back of the album. <laughs> Why did he not go by that name? That's insane. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, both are dope names, but Bundino Sigalucci. Why wouldn't you wear that loud and proud? Yeah. For real. So anyways, he discovered the band in the early 70s and was highly impressed with their musical ability to the point where they became his main project. He was kind of an unofficial member of the group. They were his backing band on most of his solo records and a lot of the albums that he was producing as well. They quickly became one of the most sought after studio bands in the Philly area. They also moved to Philadelphia in the mid seventies and you can find them on records by artists such as Evelyn Champagne King right before, you know, she started making those Kashif produced albums. They also worked with the Manhattans, Lou Rawls, the OJs, and Curtis Mayfield, just to name a few. Oh, yeah. So they were 
putting in work with some of the biggest names. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of get the feeling that there might be a lot of records that they're on in a, uh, more uncredited capacity. Oh, are they like the 10 CC of funk? It really kind of feels like that, at least for like Philly specific East coast disco funk. They were, you know, we talked about how they were trying to be the band that brought that like harder funk edge to the disco sound. Well, that was like a hit making formula. And even though they didn't have a ton of hits on their own, they are the reason a lot of our, the other artists got major hits. Just like 10 CC. Exactly. Except Jeremy doesn't seem to despise this record. Maybe now he does. Nope. I like this. 10 CC still bites. <laughs> how, how recently have you gone back and listened to it with uh, ears unclouded by hate? I can't. My ears are forever clouded with that hate. <laughs> that 10 CC hate is the only thing keeping them going at this point. For the record, Sean, that one, that one would have been on my best of season one list, except I was too familiar with it prior going in. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. You know, I just also want to say that if I got 50% credit for every episode that I co-hosted with a guest, I bet I'd be number one. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I didn't mean to start us off on like a sore note for season two. I've been bitter about it ever since, <laughs> <Yeah>. just stewing. <laughs> well, I've been brewing. Just, just sitting here in my Philadelphia basement, staring at the wall and mumbling to myself. <laughs> That's why you moved. Yeah. I couldn't take it anymore. I was just too oppressed. So anyway, like I said, the band moved to Philly in the mid-70s, and in 1976, they released their debut album under their own name by the title Get Down with the Philly Jump, which is a record that I do not own yet, but I listened to it online in preparation for this episode, and I can say it slaps. I highly recommend picking that up if you get a chance. And that was released on the TSOP label. Do either of you know what those letters stand for the sound of philadelphia true it's not the true sounds of pliberty <laughs> what i think that's tsol yeah punk band yeah it is <laughs> tsop was of course a sister label to the philadelphia international records you guys want to hear another song yes yeah yeah cool yeah as promised i was gonna try and keep this episode a little bit shorter than normal Jeremy keeps getting on me about all my deep dive, hour-long episodes. Just to try and keep it short and sweet for this one. And let's hear track three on side A, I Had a Dream. This, is, this one is written by Bunny Sigler. And I think one of the cool things about this record is the slow songs are really, really good. We've talked a lot about how that's often the, the weakest point of funk music. So there's always a special place in my heart for an album that knows how to still make a banger of a slow jam and here it is I've been dreaming, 
That's a real standout performance by lead vocalist James Carmichael, who sadly just passed away earlier this year, actually. Damn. Yeah, that was uh, stronger than I expected the slow song to be. You weren't lying. I, that, I almost could have been like Charles Bradley or something like that. Definitely. Put some, some of that passion into it. To my ears, I'm picking up on a lot of gospel influence on that track as well. I don't know if you guys were hearing any of that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You can really tell that they kept the gospel influence and they also kept that like parts of that 60s northern soul vibe. It remained an influence in their more disco funk material later on, which is one of the many reasons why I think this band is much more interesting than a lot of their contemporaries. So I watched a extended interview from not too long ago with guitarist or lead guitarist Kim Miller, founding member of the group. He had a great story about the reason he started playing guitar and making music. He said that the one of the defining moments was when Wilson Pickett was coming through town and he accidentally ran into Wilson Pickett at like the gas station and was just starstruck. Couldn't believe it. And Wilson was just like, how's it going? Here's some free tickets to my show tonight. And he convinced his uncle to take him to the show and was just so blown away and was instantly like, I've got to learn how to play music. So he convinced his family to give him guitar lessons. And he said that he spent almost two years taking lessons, completely disillusioned, not learning anything, not practicing, just going to the lessons. And then finally his instructor was like, listen, you've been at this for a long time. Your grandparents are spending good money to take you here. If you don't learn anything, I'm going to have to tell your grandparents that you're not learning anything. And he was so afraid of the thought of his grandmother finding out that he had been like half-assing his lessons. And he said that from that day on, he took it seriously and then became a guitar player. (laughs) I wonder uh, how many, the wrath of how many grandmothers are responsible for solid musicians. I know. I just, I love that. Grandmother guilt, the secret juice of music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys noticed in the timeline, but their first record came out in 76, and then they had an interesting three-year gap, and then dropped two albums back-to-back in 79. Their self-titled album followed very closely by this record, and part of the reason is that after their first record, their unofficial band member, Bunny Sigler, was leaving the Philadelphia International label and moving over to South Soul Records. Well, actually, sorry, I take that back. Was leaving Philadelphia International and moving to a kind of affiliated label called Gold Mind Records. And Instant Funk was planning on releasing an album through them. They had started recording the album and then Gold Mine ended up folding prematurely. But they were distributed by the New York-based disco label Sal Soul Records that we mentioned, who went on to release all of Instant Funk's LPs for the rest of their career. So I imagine... 
they pretty much had their self-titled record in the bag when they signed with the label, so that came out quickly, and then they were trying to capitalize on the success of that as fast as they could because their self-titled album had a song on it called I Got My Mind Made Up, parentheses, mm. You Can Get It, Girl, which was a huge, huge hit for them, especially yeah. in the New York disco scene there was some famous edits of that song and it was just it was a big deal in 79 that was a huge hit for them okay that's them yep all right all right which also makes sense why they were trying to drop that follow-up as quickly as possible and keep that success going which unfortunately they were not able to ever do all of their albums had a little bit of chart success with some of the songs but nothing came close to the success of their big number one hit. So technically they are a one hit wonder. And then they released four more records after Witch Doctor and disbanded around 1983. Okay, so a fairly short run. Yeah, as like an official group releasing records, they went from 76 to 83. But as like a band making absurd amounts of music, it was actually like 67 till okay. who knows when. Yeah. But yeah, the more research I did on this group, they definitely seem to be one of disco's best kept secrets like i said they made hits for a lot of people and i, I kind of think that part of it was they were putting more work into making tracks for other people during disco's heyday and by the time they were given the opportunity to step out on their own as their own band it was like right as that was all falling apart huge hit in 79 and then they i think did a good job of transitioning into an electro funk sound later on but it just Never caught the attention of the charts. They're also never purely disco. Like this has, like you said, it has funk elements and Philly soul elements. It's dance music, but I wouldn't call it disco really at any point. Not in this record, at least. It's got that four on the floor rhythm going on pretty much the whole time, which is like the real defining characteristic of disco. But it doesn't have as much of that like heavy, sugary string section that you a lot of times associate with disco. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I can only imagine that we've the, the transition from the 70s into the 80s that was difficult for many artists, as we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast. I'm sure that factored in as well. Mm-hmm. Them just kind of you know getting the hit in 79, and then it, it just like for, for things kind of rapidly change right after that as far as what was really hitting on commercial radio. Yep. Yeah, it's an experience I can't really relate to in any way, but I'm sure it was a, a bit of a whirlwind for them because I know they were also touring a bunch trying to promote these records. So who knows how it went down, but hopefully they made it out well in the end. And we've got this excellent material for people to dig back up now. I didn't see your Spotify playlist yet. I haven't listened to it yet, I should say. Okay. What do you got on there? Well, I was just going to ask, do either of you have any recommendations of similar albums before i read my selections from the playlist no you don't want me to put you on the spot is this just like a purely sean segment from now on hey i contributed the kenny g suggestion to the last episode i, I appreciate that <laughs> it's a hundred percent more than the suggestions i've gotten from jeremy that's for sure maybe like the blackbirds is that close enough yeah totally blackbirds are a great crossover funk band they were more into fusing funk and jazz I put them on last week's playlist for Ronnie Laws, so I did not include them a second week, but I do love that band. And they're in the dollar bins. Yep, they sure are. Overlooked gem right there. 
So as I mentioned, I think Rick James was a big influence on this group, so I included one of the tracks from Bustin' Out of L7, the track Bustin' Out. Rick James is also an artist that, obviously a very problematic human being, but the quality of his music, I think, is often very overlooked, and also the depth of his music and the instrumental talent that's on there is often overlooked in favor of his hit songs or personality, etc. I also put another Philly group, Sister Sledge, on there. Anybody mm-hmm. know what other band did some famous production work for them? Chic. That's right. Also going to hear some Evelyn Champagne King on there from a track that Instant Funk is the backing group on. And we've got a Bunny Sigler track from his album, I've Always Wanted to Sing, which came out the same year as this album and is like a little bit more into smoother R&B territory than this, but still really good and a very good companion piece to this record if anybody wants to check that one out. Is it Instant Funk, the backing band yep. on that one? Yep, they are the backing band on that one. So another showcase of their range as musicians. Also got another one of my favorite and very overlooked funk bands, the Fatback Band. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely got to do a Fatback Band record at some point. And then uh, I'd buy that for a dollar alums the brothers johnson and one of my absolute favorite uh philly musicians dexter wansel i include a track from his album life on mars some good like space themed disco funk getting a little weird also we're gonna hear from george duke brass construction Mm. mcfadden and whitehead some more philly superstar producers and the people's choice so that's all on the spotify playlist that i've made to accompany this episode can I make one suggestion for that one? Ooh, yeah, I can I can add something before I make this public. What do you got? The Gap Band. I don't believe you want to get up and dance. Oops. Oh, that yeah. would be perfect. I do love the Gap Band so much. Yeah, Gap Band shreds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I bought my copy for two bucks, I think, of uh, the Gap Band 2. I don't know if it still goes for that, but I definitely paid two bucks for it about five years ago. Just about all the Gap Band stuff is fairly cheap also uh charlie wilson's got that new hit song on the radio right now i think i sent peter a link yeah to it. that that was uh, awesome I, yeah. I checked that song out and you said that's playing in philly on the stations yeah they've been they've been playing that one a lot lately i didn't even realize it was him i was just like this song slaps what is this holy shit charlie wilson has a charting <laughs> song in 2020 at the age of 67 fuck yeah I think Gap Band officially disbanded like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So I was excited to hear that he's still making music. Yeah, you know, Gap Band and Isley Brothers are two groups that had like a weird amount of longevity. Like all through the 90s and 2000s even, they keep resurfacing because they just, they still got it. It's amazing. Well, all very fun. Do you got any other spooky sounds for us? Any haunted yeah david drucker haunted sounds for us sean all right i want each of you to pick a number between one and 12 11 i was gonna say 11 (laughs) i think we heard that one already yeah i don't know if any of these i haven't played yet jeremy what's your number Uh, i was gonna say 11 but let's go six six (laughs) 
There you go. I think we got them all in, guys. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Well, this has been an extra haunted, special, spooky edition of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. Remember to check out the Patreon and fundraiser materials on our social media, on both Facebook and Instagram. You have until October 31st to get in on this limited time offer. You can be the coolest person in your town wearing your eyed by that swag. So I'm Peter Cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Jeremy Ruggles. We are going to go out on the closing track that I suppose you could say is has a haunted theme as well. It's called Scream and Shout.